So I guess I um I was just kind of for my signature work, I was hoping I was doing like a blog where I'm like uploading posts and I'm trying to I was focusing on kind of doing more within like accounting and finance and kind of my experiences and talk a little bit more about it. Um, okay. I know the field of accounting has slowly been like declining for the past few years in terms of like the number of people joining or like even like becoming eligible for the CPA, like that numbers getting lower. Yeah. And, and I think that has a lot to do with public accounting, to be honest. I think yeah. it has a whole lot to do with public accounting and the issues that we have in public accounting nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I kind of was uh, doing a blog where I was hoping to like shed more light, I guess, on like my experiences. And then, um, and then I thought like, in addition to that, a podcast would kind of be like a nice compliment to it. And I, thought it would also give me a way to like reach out to more people um, and kind of, I guess, like have more conversations geared towards like just accounting and different people's opinions on different topics. So that was kind of the basis. And it wasn't wasn't anything like super formal or anything. That's why I was just looking to do like a short kind of chat. And so I also like reached out to Dr. Schaub um, as well, just to trying to like get a wide variety of people just to pick their brain and their opinions on different things. So he, I would, I would take his opinion way above mine. I will tell you that yes. much. <laughs> uh, just don't put us on back to back. Okay. Cause I don't want to be compared to him. <laughs> the last time I talked to Christian business leaders, they were like, Oh yeah. So our last speaker was Dr. Mike Schaub. And I was like, serious, serious. <laughs> so yeah he was pretty fabulous mm -hmm. okay well i just uh i wanted to welcome you so my uh i decided to call my podcast the aggie accountant um and so i haven't this is like i'm still getting the audio and different things to put together for my episodes um so i just wanted to thank you for like taking the time out and helping me like start this and um so yeah, I guess with with that being said, I was hoping to maybe get you to talk a little bit more about your background and experiences uh, just within accounting. Okay, um, I obviously went to A&M and studied accounting. Um, I had initially actually planned on uh, leaving after my four years in accounting, working for a few years, going to um, going back and getting an MBA. And then hope with hopes of eventually going to law school. And um, somewhere along the way, I think I realized that that was much more my parents' dream than my dream. Um, I've always found that I, ever since high school, I enjoyed accounting. I enjoy the logicality of accounting. Um, even though it is a language, once you understand that language, it becomes a very logical language, similar to math, which is why I think it draws that parallel to math. Um, but it was something that just always made a lot of sense to me. So when I um, was there at A&M, I was actually able to secure an internship with, uh, at the time it was Cooper's Library, and we had a big six back then. Um, Price Waterhouse was separate from Cooper's. And so I was with Cooper's. Um, and actually, I did my internship I believe my junior year. So I had not even had auditing when I went on my auditing internship. Yeah. 
Um, the field was a lot different back then. The internship world was a lot different back then. At the time, I believe I was only one of three interns in the Houston office, which we know nowadays they have, sometimes it seems like hundreds of interns. Um, but at the time there were only three of us. And so, um, it was, it was, it was a huge honor to have it. Um, I had actually accepted that internship offer while the job offer that came after it. Um, but my husband really felt like he was supposed to stay in college station for, for medical school. And I kind of always felt like I wasn't getting married so we could live apart. Um, so I turned down my, I had to call him and, and, and turn down the offer after all. And so I actually started my accounting life, if you will, in governmental accounting. I, um, I worked at the Texas comptroller's office or not Texas, excuse me. I worked at the um, A&M comptroller's office and essentially what my job was, there were um, 16 agencies slash universities as part of the A&M system at that point. And in essence, what they did is each agency and each university put together their own set of financial statements, and then they would send that to me in the comptroller's office, and my job was to reconcile them out and consolidate them into one large A&M system set of financial statements and put it out for publishment up to Austin so that they could have those on file. Um, I did that for a year and found out, wow, I really did not enjoy government life. (laughs) Um, I think it, it it definitely takes someone that's very special that really enjoys fund accounting, governmental accounting. And that's when I decided to come back and get my master's degree. Um, I have always really just loved the pure financial reporting aspect of accounting and financial accounting in itself. Um, and so I came back with kind of a focus on that. Um, and then after I graduated, I moved up to Temple. We, um, actually, my first job there was actually not even an accounting job. It was with the, uh, it was with the Texas Workforce Commission, um, putting together like a, a, a federal program that they had for displaced workers. And then eventually found my way into, um, Perry Office Products, which was exactly at my alley because it was a retail based financial accounting job, which was exactly what I've always loved. Um, started as their senior accountant, uh, kind of a little mom pop. They had just a couple of stores between the central Texas area. And um, over the next, was it four years, maybe um, four years, five years, we bought out our two largest competitors in central Texas, um, almost tripling our size. And um, I moved up to their, their uh, chief financial officer. Um, and I was able to do that. And when my first daughter was born, I decided it was time for me to give up my career and uh, be a be a full time stay at home mom. That's very, that's very cool. Um, I guess so. Talking a little bit more about like your experiences with the Perry Office products, um, I I saw it was like it's like one of the largest independent sellers like within kind of central Texas for different like office products. Mm-hmm. What would you say was something that you weren't expecting or anticipating whenever you took on like a that role of chief financial officer for like such a large company? 
Um, you know, I don't know that there was anything that I wasn't expecting because I had been working as as their single senior accountant for about a year and a half to two years when I got promoted. And at that point, I had already been doing quite quite a bit of, of what the CFO position would have been. Um, I'll be honest, I think what I didn't expect was even being offered the position to start with. I um, I when when my husband left medical school, we chose a residency in the St. Louis area. And we're talking, this was back in the very late 90s, 99, early 2000s. Um, the internet as as we know it, which is so hard for, for your age to think, it just wasn't prevalent. Um, we had dial-up modems, <laughs> um, which I'm not even sure y'all know what a dial-up modem is. Um, but it was your internet went through a telephone line and you had to dial up. It wasn't high speed by any stretch of the imagination. And so I had actually submitted my resignation because I knew we were moving. And um, that is when uh, Harry, who is the, the present owner, came to me and said, um, we want you to stay on. And And I said, I'm not sure how that would work because just the whole work uh, work from a distance kind of thing that just really wasn't much of a thing. And so he talked to a couple of tech people and said, I think we can make this work. Um, we laugh. We both, we took a truck and a, a car up to St. Louis. Um, the military was moving our stuff and the car, the entire bed of the car was filled with nothing but computer equipment. <laughs> it wasn't just a plug in modem and go. It was, you need this and you need this and you need this. And like my printer wasn't a regular desktop printer. It was like this full desk size printer that I had to have in order. I had so many cables. Um, and so really, I, I guess I've never thought about it like this before, but I was probably kind of on the edge of of that first you know, distance work kind of thing going on that, that nowadays everyone does. I was, I was among some of the very first ones probably to do that, at least in, in that kind of role. Okay. So, well, I guess did that, did you like feel an impact with like working remote? I know that's like a, that's a big question. Like nowadays, like I know for at least like at PWC, like a lot of the older staff, like really enjoy like working from home but then a lot of like the younger people are like more interested in going into the office. So did you like, I guess, experiencing that before it became a very popular method of work, do you think that impacted it in any way? I, I think for me, and, and if I were just to be very, very honest about it, it was um, just trying to stay focused on work because it was not something that any of my friends had thought about or done before. And so the idea of trying to set boundaries of during work hours, I need to be in my home office trying to get things done versus, you know, my friends who were stay at home wives and, and they had no concept of if you're not at home, you know, if you're at home, why in the world would you be working too? And so really, I think, for me, that was the most difficult part was just trying to figure out those boundaries between work and home because 
again, it was tough because when I first got there, well, when I first got there, you know, before we got to know people, it was easy. Um, and then after I got to know people, you know, I'm a pretty social person <laughs> and, um, and that became more difficult, but, but on the same hand, my husband was working crazy hours. So I had to teach myself limits of, I, I shouldn't be working until 11 o'clock at night in my office. And at times I would have to put myself on limits of how long I could work because since it was right there, um, and my husband wasn't home, why not be working? Right. That's really interesting. I never, I never knew like you were working remote, like even before that was like a thing <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, like I said, it was dialed internet. So anytime I wanted to log into our system, literally you had to push a button and you could hear the modem dial a phone number to their internet modem and you prayed it picked up. And then you prayed that while you're in the middle of it, it didn't just disconnect. Um, and then when we moved to Florida, the, that's when you quote, we're supposed to be having high speed internet, but we lived quite a ways out of town. And um, a lot of times just to have internet was a struggle. And by then we were um, trying to process payroll electronically and um, moving to an entirely different, moving to an entirely different computer system, which was um, also a real challenge to learn and move your entire accounting system to a more computer system when you're far away. I um, usually once a quarter would fly back in um, because it was, for me, it was as important for me to have relationships with all the the people who worked underneath me, but that's hard to do when you're, you know, 600 miles away. Right. So from, from almost more of a managerial standpoint, um, it really took a lot to figure out that, that aspect of it. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that, that's definitely, definitely an important part I've like noticed today. Like, I guess like working with like people from, all over the country um that i'll probably never meet but like i talk with them it's like harder to get that level of relationship um so yeah a hundred percent and then also you really i think and and i'm sure this is um this is really a, a prevalent issue nowadays it was also so important that when someone left that when i replaced them I had to know that I was replacing them with someone that I didn't need to stand over their shoulder because I wasn't going to be there. And I needed to be able to trust that, you know, everything from they're going to show up on time to they're actually going to get their work done, um, that they're going to be professional about it. That, that was also something that um, I had to work extra hard when I was hiring people just because I wasn't going to be there to manage them constantly. Yeah, that's that's an that's an interesting thought. I never never occurred to me. I guess for whenever you're hiring people, if you're not like if the boss isn't there, like how do you make sure they act correctly? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I was very fortunate. I had um, amazing people in my department, um, but yeah, it was always a concern of mine. Always a concern. So I guess. Um, moving on to like, I guess I have some questions about like teaching and stuff. So I know you're like 
you've mainly taught the like introduction to financial accounting course. Um, and you were like a big, I guess you were like one of the big parts of my decision to choose mm-hmm. accounting. Um, cause I, I really enjoyed your class. I really thought it was like interesting. I came into college thinking I'd want to do finance. I feel like that's a pretty common answer for a lot of kids in, in accounting. It is very common. And most students will come in saying, especially at Mays, because I love the way Mays is set up that students don't come in with a specific major. They come in as general business majors and then have to kind of wait a couple of years before they decide. Right. Yeah. So I guess um, what was like one thing that made you want to become a teacher? (laughs) Well, if I had to be really honest, um, I'll be honest, I never wanted to step into a classroom. And um, funny story, which is telling on myself, is it's kind of embarrassing, but I guess those are really the best stories, right? Um, when I first decided to go back and get my master's, uh, back in the, the mid-90s, not everyone had a master's. You know, nowadays, I kind of feel like if you're in accounting and you don't have your master's, people want to know more, why don't you have a master's? Back then, it wasn't like that. A PPA was only, I think I would have been year three, and I didn't end up doing PPA because I thought I was moving to Dallas. Um, it was really kind of a new aspect. You did not need the 150 hours. Uh, you only needed 120 for your CPA exam. And so the majority of us did not have it. And when I decided I wanted to go back to get my master's, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's embarrassing, but I kind of did it because I disliked my job so much. And I love the people I work with. I just did not enjoy governmental accounting that I thought, how do I leave this, but still make myself better? And going and getting my master's degree was my answer. And uh, my husband at the time, who was in medical school, and we were actually going through medical school with no loans at all. So, um, you know, we, we needed to, you know, put food on the table. And so the idea of me quitting my job was a little concerning and he just asked why. And I didn't really have a good answer and I didn't feel because I hate my job was a very good answer. And so I very quickly just said, well, he was in the military. They paid for medical school. And so I said, well, since you're in the military, we'll be moving around all the time. And, um, And, uh, you know, if I have my master's in accounting, that's really job security because I'll be able to teach at a lot of different universities and really any junior college that you met. And he thought, okay, well, that makes sense. I worked 30 hours as a grad assistant while taking 18 grad hours a semester. Um, It was, it was, it was tough, but I've always loved, I've always loved school. I love the academic world. And so I guess I just didn't mind as much. Um, And every single time we moved, there was always at least either a university or a junior college, literally within two miles of our house. And every time he would say, oh, is this it? Are you going to go? Are you going to go try to work there? And I always had an excuse because I actually did not want to step into the classroom. Um, I am an accidental professor if there ever was one. I was volunteering in my daughter's preschool when a mom stopped by and just said, are you a CPA? And I said, yes. And she said, and you used to be a CFO? And I said, yes. And she said, and and you got your master's? And I said, yes. (laughs) As I was 
covered in glitter and glue um, at the preschool. And uh, she just said, I want you to come talk to my department head. And at first I wasn't going to go. And my husband convinced me to go. And when I walked in, it just happened to be the same department head. And it happened to be my accounting 229 honors professor sitting across the table. And, um, and really, I'll be very honest. We, at first I said, I don't, I don't know that this is right. And he said, why don't you just give it a shot? You give us a, a semester, we'll give you a semester. And, um, you know, I guess maybe some of the best things happened by accident, James, because I truly feel deep in my heart that there is nothing I ever want to do with my life than be in that classroom. Right. So, um, and then to, to get students like you uh, that end up deciding on accounting, and I have no doubt are going to go do great, great things. Um, that's exciting to me. And and with the way Maze is set up, so many of my students walk into my classroom and, and their feeling on it is, I don't know what I'm going to major in, but I can guarantee it's not going to be accounting. Um, and so to be able to show them that the world of accounting isn't what they think it is, that there is no brown polyester involved, um, that I don't wear a pocket protector, um, that it's not about just sitting in a cubicle under fluorescent lights all day, that that it's so much about a skill set that allows you to go anywhere in the business world. That's really become my passion, I would say. You know, even if I think they offered to let me teach like one of the upper level classes, um, I, I think I would say no. I love seeing, you know, a student who thought they were going to hate accounting realize that this is what they want to do. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty blessed, it's a pretty blessed life. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a really cool story. I like, I use like the same, like the same word. And I guess whenever people are like, Oh, why'd you do accounting? And I was like, Oh, it's not what you think. Like it's not just sitting at a desk. <laughs> at a computer all day like it's more like thinking problem solving and those are things I didn't I guess I didn't realize until like after talking with you and hearing your experiences yeah I think it's it's, it's such a common misconception I'm, I'm talking to a lot of kids right now who had me last semester and now they're needing to decide on their major and you know they came in thinking they were going to do something else finance or MIS or marketing and now they're coming to me going I think I want to do accounting, but my family's really concerned about this because they said I don't seem like a typical accountant. And, you know, if I had a dollar every single time someone said, well, you don't seem like a typical accountant. Um, and, you know, what I always tell them is, no, what you're saying is I don't seem like the stereotypical accountant, but I think I'm exactly what true accountants are. P people who can speak to other people and who have great critical thinking skills and analysis skills. Um, people who I think are curious, who want to understand how something works, not just be told how something works. And I think that a lot of my kids like you that go into accounting, it's because what you've realized is with accounting, once you learn how all the finances run through a business, no one has to tell you that a certain ratio means this or that a certain, you know, analytic means this because you understand everything that went into that. You right. can figure it out yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely like, I guess I've leaned more towards like finance type jobs, but I still am like really glad I have the accounting background. I definitely, it definitely helps. Like I like whenever people ask me if they should do finance or accounting, I always say like accounting, I think like you can, you can still do the finance. Like they all are interconnected. I just think the accounting gives like a more in-depth, I guess, like understanding of how everything works. Well, and you'll use it in every aspect, even in finance. Um, I mean, you know, finance and accounting are so married um, mm-hmm. that, you know, depending on where you go in accounting, you're going to deal with finance things. And and in finance, you will definitely deal with accounting. I had um, Raja Akram. He's the deputy CFO for Morgan Stanley. He was actually in my honors class um, just this last fall. And one of the students, he was actually one of our former uh, PPA students from Mays. And um, someone asked him, well, now that you're, you know, obviously in in a relatively strong finance world, do you ever find that you use accounting? And he said, all the time, he said, I promise every single quarter when an analyst runs to my office and he's in a tizzy because our earnings aren't maybe what they thought they were going to be, my head immediately goes to, okay, what goes into our earnings? How did that earnings number get there? And that's the accounting of it. So my next question, um, kind of like leading into that, what what would you say is something like you think would help improve the accounting situation, I guess, like within the profession? I know you mentioned like you think public accounting has a lot to do. um, And I guess talking with like other people, uh, I know like some states don't require the 150 hours for a CPA, such like Texas is one of those 150 hours, but I've like met some people up here from like New York or different of the Northeast states and they don't like, they don't have masters because they felt like that was kind of cutting back some kids who were like thinking about it, but then a master's may not have been like in their, in their vision for like college. So I guess, what do you think would be like one of the things that could help bring back like people into accounting in the profession? Um, oh my gosh, that rabbit hole is so deep, James. Um, you know, when it comes to public accounting, because that's always been really, I mean, even though you can go anywhere from accounting, let's be honest, um, from an entry level student who's leaving college, um, those big four, that's a huge, huge facet of where our students are going to go. You know, it's not even the big fours job, man. I go all the way back to Sarbanes-Oxley. You know, I I think it's it's very honest. I think everybody is realizing it, at least from somewhere like, and and mind you, my perspective is somewhere like Texas A&M, where we're graduating just really phenomenal folks with these master's degrees in all different aspects of life. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about initial entry wages when you're looking at industry versus public. Um, And then also being able to do consulting or a financial analyst role in an industry versus going public. And, 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 you know, just purely because of the size of public and how many auditors you need, um, the pay is not going to be equitable. Obviously, I always tell all my students that yeah, initially, big four, you're probably going to be making a little bit less, but understand that it's about a long game. It's about understanding that if you stay in and you learn from it, then you can go anywhere with it after that. 
Um, but I understand also that at 22 and 23, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, when you're 22, 23, you don't ever think you're going to be 30, much less 40 or 50. So trying to think that far out is tough. Um, and then, you know, I, I think that was even the case when I was in school. But we also, I'm also a big believer that you know, students and people as a whole, they're willing to make a little less money if they're getting a lot of job satisfaction. Uh, they're getting to feel like they're, you know, bringing their critical thinking to the table. And we push critical thinking so very much at AM um, because of things like Surbane's Oxley. Um, you know, now those kids that when I was in school, we left and we were able to add critical thinking right away. And we were able to really add to the team right away um, and, and really move up very quickly. And so whatever maybe discrepancy in our pay, we made up for it in this job satisfaction of while well, we're really making a difference. Because of Sarbanes-Oxy, now you have this issue with, um, with you know, you're going to get out and you've been pushed all this critical thinking here at AM. And they're going to get out in your own controls day in and day out for 60 hours a week, you know, 35 weeks a year. And that's a little harder for kids to swallow. Um, you know, I had not actually thought until you just mentioned it, that idea about, um, about you know, maybe not having the 150-hour rule. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe if they did something like that, you would have two two entry levels maybe of, of, you know, auditors, which I, I say auditing because obviously that's one of the largest components of right. our, our industry. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the, the issues are stemming from. Um, but I don't know, maybe you can have two entry level tiers at that point so that a lot of that, and I don't want to call it menial because it's not menial, but a lot of the um, less challenging work might be done by those who maybe haven't gone and gotten their 150 hours and their CPA exam yet. Um, you know, I think for public to really turn it around, they really have to start working on educating those students coming out, working with the, working with the universities um, to really make sure students understand that public is about the long game the public is about getting in there and putting in your dues and putting in your time and um, that it may not be your ideal job initially I had one student who um, left and actually was an IT audit and he told me he called me and he said I actually hated every single the first he was like I hated every single day of my first year he said I literally woke up thinking about how I was going to quit but he, he, his parents brought him up just to be real, really hard worker and not to quit. And so he said, I told myself, I'm going to stay a year. He said, I got to that year and realized, okay, it was, it was a little bit better. And he said, I told myself, I'm going to stay one more year because I started looking at the people who were above me and realizing that they weren't having to do that grunt work for lack of a better word. And that they were getting more job satisfaction at a quite a higher pay rate. And so he said, I stayed two years and then I got promoted and I realized, wait a second, now I'm getting to do the stuff that I really wanted to do. His words were, now I get to make some other kid do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
um, making much more. And I, and now I think he's in his fourth or fifth year and okay. truly enjoying what he's doing. But, you know, that's so hard to really push towards because I have so many kids come into my office and say, I have a cousin who's in her second busy season. I have um, a brother who's in his first busy season and he hates his life. He hates everything about it. And I spend so much of my time trying to educate that on, okay, let's fast forward three or four years. I, I think that's something the big four is really going to have to start doing is really looking out that long game and figure out how they can, um, they can really educate students on that long game when you've got 23 year olds and 24 year olds who see this is my salary and that's how many hours I've got to work. You know, the, the, the numbers don't mesh for them because they don't think of the long game. So I think that that's something the big four has really got to do is work with the universities to figure out how do we educate these kids on why you might want to take a little less pay and why you might want to work a lot more hours because in the end it would pay off. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really interesting, interesting like take on it. I haven't, I haven't really thought about like the thinking like, Oh, like pre socks and post socks, like accounting um, for those changes. But you know, oh, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that made, that makes a lot of sense. That's like a similar story, I guess. I know the, like the one year retention rate or like one or two year retention rate at like big four is like definitely very high. But then like, I feel like past that, like once people stay at least a few years, I think the, like the turnover rate, like is a lot better um, in terms of like, I, I think I, I like never thought about it that way, but that like, that makes a lot of sense. Like I talk with a lot of people that are senior associates or, and then, but I also talk with like associates and the associates are always like, oh, no, I'm not going not gonna to be here. <laughs> like well, and then, and then that becomes like this vicious cycle because these are the people who are only one or, you know, mostly one year older from the college kids that are about to leave. And so when they're talking to the college kids, it's not like the college kids aren't going to hear that. And so now, you know, it, you know, at one point, sure, we have a retention issue. Now it, it's beyond retention. We have a recruitment issue. Um, you know, people simply aren't even wanting to go into that field to start with. And so, you know, like, like it, it's like the problem has just trickled down. And, and that's why I say they've got to get into the, the colleges and the education there. And it's got to be really kind of at that junior, senior level because, or, or fifth year level, because, you know, freshmen, sophomores, they think, oh, this is awesome. This is cool. These companies are talking to me, went to me. Um, but then when they get to that fourth year and fifth year, now they're talking to those first year associates who are telling them how awful it is. And, and you know, somewhere like A&M where, I mean, you know, you go to A&M and you've seen the opportunities. My daughter is, currently has just entered um PPA and the recruitment is starting and um oh yeah I told Sydney by the way that we're gonna do this she said hi um but uh but she you know the number of people who are texting her and calling her 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks so amazing. But at the same time, because she also knows people who are out there, um, she realizes like, I can't just be swayed by some dinners anymore. They're, they're, kids are getting more sophisticated, I guess you would say nowadays. And gone are the days we're just throwing dinners at them and some gifts at them are going to make them not look towards maybe what's coming you know and so that's why i said i think you've got to get on education back okay let's talk about what happens after a year or after two years okay yeah so do you think like the i guess yeah i'm like like that recruiting process has it kind of been the same like even when you were like i guess like going through college and looking where like did the firm still approach, I guess, in the same way? Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Back when I was here, it was every student's dream to work for a big six. Okay. Like that was the penultimate. Um, that was, you know, what everybody strived for. I was fortunate enough. I think I had either four or five offers from the big six by the time my senior year started. And that was like everyone was just so impressed uh nowadays unfortunately like i said because of the the word of mouth and and how um difficult it's it's getting um i would definitely say that's not there anymore you know my like i said with sydney she's she has so many options now and and you've been there with your top students you know colleges she's got so many options outside of that auditing world that um, all of a sudden, you know, not only is going to the big four just kind of a, okay, um, maybe, but now going auditing for big four, that's almost, a, it's almost become um, a little bit of a, well, if I can't figure out anything else that I want to do, then I'll fall back on that. Whereas when I was, you know, 22 graduating, that was the job that everybody wanted. So it's definitely changed. No, that's, uh, yeah, I, I can, that's, that's like good. Is she like, I guess, looking like outside of big four as well? Like in terms of. She is keeping all aspects open. Um, you know, A&M just opened up the consulting track. Oh, for PPA? Yes, for PPA. It's it's oh, going wow. through the accounting masters. Um uh but it's it's gonna focus on consulting and um she has a heart for hopefully focusing on consulting for nonprofits. Okay. And so she is hoping to look at consulting. She has looked some at some of the advisory um opportunities that are there. Um you know, and, and for her, I just told her, just do what she's always done, which is just pray and um, go with where her, her soul tells her to go. And I think she's going to do absolutely great. But I mean, that's just like another, that's just now another industry that the big four has to compete against. You know, back in the day, as an accountant, you didn't ever think that you were going to move into something like consulting. And, and Keep in mind, this is my perspective because we're at A&M, where you can get your master's degree in so many different, um, you know, so many different tracks. Most five-year programs across the U.S., in fact, 
I'm not sure we may be the only program that allows this. I think LSU may allow a, an MIS degree, but I think, and I could be wrong, but I think every other five-year program in accounting across the U.S., you have to get your master's in accounting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so here at A&M, where you don't, um, and that just makes it that much more difficult, and it just gives the big four that many more competitors to have to compete to get our kids. I guess with the, I know the like EY is splitting their like accounting and consulting practice. Do you think, I guess, like, do you think that'll go across for the other big four or? Actually, I think, I know Deloitte has already split. So Deloitte consulting is different. So each of the big four, they have advisory, um, they have advisory within the actual big four company. But most of them, the consulting arm has actually already split just the way you have EY Parthenon now and you have Deloitte Consulting now. And so they're, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because they're, they're kind of still the same, but they're two actual separate companies now. Um, and whereas the consulting firms are focusing um, a little bit more on strategy versus um, inside the company where there might be a little bit more of a focus on like implementation. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's really cool. So I know like the, the advisory side definitely is, I know like was appealing to me. Like I'm still considering it. Like I'm trying to look within the company, like see if, you know, what other opportunities or like, if I were to come back into public accounting, like, do I want to go, do I want to stay in like the accounting or I know the advisory for me has been like an appealing, like an appealing option just for, I guess the same reason. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, advisory does tend to have a little bit more of a work-life balance. Um, I know that the the three that Sydney was looking at were all were all advisory type roles. Um. So I guess I know. I guess we, I know we ran a little over the time. Sorry about that. I didn't. It's, it's probably my fault. I'm slightly long-winded. You've been in my class, you know. <laughs> no, it's no worries. I, I I enjoyed getting to hear your opinion and thoughts on different things. So, um, but I just wanted to, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to talk about it. It's been, I really enjoyed getting to hear your take on different, different topics and different things within the world. Of Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, James. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. And so, and uh, I guess I'll look forward to uh, seeing you around May. I'll be back in March. So yeah, absolutely. Stop by, say hi sometime. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to. So I hope you have a great rest of your day. Th- thanks again for coming out on the on the podcast. And I hope if y'all are watching the Super Bowl, I hope that whoever y'all are rooting for does well. <laughs> So um, I'm not real thrilled about either. I mean, that's just me personally. So I guess we're going to say go Chiefs. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, you enjoy the rest of your internship. I can't wait to hear all about it. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you updated. So I'll let you know. So perfect. Perfect. Well, you have a great uh, weekend then. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.